The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors. And now, it's time for Radio Jobline with your host, Scott Possessor, right here on 103.9 LI News Radio. Everybody, it must be Saturday afternoon from 2 to 3 p.m., or it might be Wednesday night from 9 to 10 p.m. We're here for you twice a week to talk about your career, look at the talent pools, look at the job market, look at the economy. We just had a big economic show last week uh, where we had the opinion of uh, Mike Hartsman, uh, a friend of me, uh, of myself, and also my guest today. Um, and today we're going to talk about CEOs. What are they thinking? How do we know what they're thinking? And where does all this data come from? We have uh, Jeff Oak on the show today. He's a Vistage chair. Jeff comes here every quarter and gives us a complete report on what CEOs are thinking nationally, regionally, and locally uh, about the economy, about their companies, about about certain issues. Uh, we, we did a whole thing about um, remote work we were talking about, uh, and we're still probably talking about that. Um, but I'm going to introduce Jeff. Let me have some information here. Being a Vistage chair, that means Jeff has the privilege of working with Long Island CEOs and business owners who are hungry, humble, and smart, and who want to strengthen their companies, families, and communities. Jeff is an executive coach, leadership consultant, and trusted advisor with 30 years of experience leading small, medium, and large companies. Vistage Worldwide was founded 65 years ago and has 45,000 members in 35 countries. It is the oldest and largest organization for CEOs of small to mid-sized companies. In 2020, at the height of the pandemic, Vistage member companies grew their annual revenue by plus 4.6%, while non-member companies saw revenue decline by 4.7%, according to a study of Dun & Bradstreet. So, created in 2003, the Vistage CEO Confidence Index has grown to be the largest and most comprehensive report of the opinions and projections from CEOs of small to mid-sized businesses, a trusted barometer for the economic outlook of our nation's small business leaders on topics such as economic sentiment, employment, capital expenditures, and revenue and profit expectations of small and mid-sized businesses. Analysis demonstrates that the index is a leading indicator of the U.S. Industrial Production Index nine months in advance. Get your pens and papers ready because we're going to find out what's going to happen nine months from now. Uh, Vista's partners uh, with the Wall Street Journal on a quarterly report, and we get it right here on Radio Jobline. Thanks to Jeff Oak. Jeff, thanks for making the trip today. My, my pleasure, Scott. Okay, so let's talk about this uh, this quarter's um, report. And but before we get into the details, let's give people more information about how we get this information, sure. where it comes from, why we're doing it, and so on. Yeah. What What's unique about this particular survey, Scott, that I really like, is that it's based on the sentiment of CEOs who are actually running companies, people who are on the front lines of the U.S. economy. It's not based on, um, uh, you know, some guy in some university plugging numbers and whatnot. We interview CEOs and we ask them how, they, how are they feeling in their own companies about where revenue is going, where profitability is going. Are they thinking of hiring in the next um, six months, three months, year um 
And so it's really me- measuring the gut. It's a gut check with CEOs. Mm. And um, it makes sense that it is a leading indicator of a major macroeconomic index. It's called the Industrial Production Index. Mm-hmm. That index is used by economists and investors. And the Vistage CEO Confidence Survey um, over the last, gosh, three or four years, um, it predicts with a high degree of validity this industrial production index. So it's a, it's a leading indicator. It tells us where the economy is, is going. Um, and it makes sense, right? These people, they're in the, they're in the trenches. They are, they are, they are working on uh, um, producing, st- manufacturing stuff, providing services, uh, managing employees, uh, managing their own you know, balance sheets. So it makes sense that these are people who are very close to what's happening on the ground in the economy. Okay, and I have a little bit of firsthand experience of this. I was honored that you asked me to attend one of these uh, meetings with the CEOs. They were lovely guys. Yes. And yes. Uh, they just seemed just like one of us. Really, they didn't seem like CEOs. They just seemed like normal people. Yes. Um, so people forget that they are normal people. Yes. You know, we all think of a CEO as someone in their ivory tower. Not true. You know, yes. uh, you know, most small business and medium-sized business CEOs are just mainstream people. Yes, yes. So uh, great guys, and I really appreciated that opportunity. Yeah, the women in the group happen not to be present at, at the meeting that you were at, but uh, we have women in the group as well. Right, yeah, well, we we, uh, yeah. Hopefully, there are more female CEOs yeah. all the time. Yes. All the time. Yes. Yes. So, so let's start, uh, you know, digging into the numbers and, and see what what the confidence index is telling us right now. Yeah, and 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 I'll expand on how this confidence index fits into bigger issues. Mm-hmm. Um, small businesses are um, really the heroes of the U.S. economy, and there are some numbers that illustrate that. Um, all new jobs are generated by small and mid-sized companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and half of all economic productivity in the country of our national revenue comes from small and mid-sized companies. The um, U.S. Small Business Administration defines small and mid-sized company as a million to a billion in revenue. Our sweet spot is between a million and 250. Mm-hmm. Um, but but these small businesses have an amazing tenacity, economic tenacity. They are um, job creators. Uh, they're scrappy. They're gritty. They're tough. They're smart. They're resourceful. Um, and uh, and so the sentiment on this dimension of the economy is particularly important given those percentage numbers. And let's look at it from their perspective. You know, you say this is one of the only groups available. You know, for CEOs, CEOs are not really welcome at at the HIA or anything like you know. You don't you don't think of them right. as attending a typical networking meeting or other type meetings where they can be with their brethren and yes. and uh, interact and learn from each other and so on. Yes. So I think this is a great organization for them. Yes. You know, not not to mention that this index is a great uh, opportunity yes. for us to learn what's happening in the mind of the CEO because if the CEOs are running the country, if you ask yes. me, it's not the government. It's yes. it's the businesses. Yes. And uh, there's a statistic that I, I heard once, Jeff, I don't know how accurate it is, but I think it's pretty accurate. Something like 83,000 companies on Long Island and and 90% of them have 25 employees or less. 
So small business is where it's at. Yes. You know, and these people probably don't even qualify to some of them to to even be, you know, be in your group. No, I have a, I have a, I have, um, Probably one third of my companies are in that range. Right. So, so you know, we don't have a lot of giant companies here yep. on Long Island. You know, there's a thousand or, or a couple of thousand. You know, yep. out, of, out of the eighty-three thousand. Yes. So, so getting the opinions of of small to mid-sized CEOs is very, very valuable. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, go ahead. With that in mind, uh, what are they thinking? Yeah. So, um, I'm going to compare this quarter to the previous quarter. So we get a sense of where things are going. Um, there is still, um, it's not bright and cheery out there in terms of CEO sentiment about the economy. But if if I can put it this way, pessimism is decreasing. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> there, there's no breakout of optimism, <laughs> but pessimism is going down. What I mean by that is as it relates to the overall economy, where CEOs think the economy is going, they are less pessimistic. In terms of expected revenues, about half of CEOs expect revenues to increase, Mm -hmm. but a much smaller proportion, um, that revenue increase does not correlate with improvements in profitability. So to put it a different way, Top line rav- revenue is going up at a slow rate, mm-hmm. and profitability is almost staying flat. Okay, um, and um, so, so that's the that's the high level. Is that um, pessimism is easing? I think it's instructive. I'm glad you mentioned the comment that this survey provides insights. Um, on the national economy, and then I've been able to get Long Island-specific data. Mm -hmm. Um, For the most part, the results of CEO confidence, they're higher than the national averages in the Long Island economy. We ought to feel good about that. Lots of reasons for that. I'd love to hear the reasons. Yeah, well, uh, proximity to the financial center of New York City, um, there's a there's a goodly amount of technological innovation. There's a nice mix of of, of manufacturing of ser- a lot of need for services in in the greater metro New York metro area. Um, it's an expensive place to live. It's a desirable place to live for many. I know some 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 folks have been around a long time. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, uh, maybe get tired of sitting in traffic on the LIE, but a lot of people want to live here. Right. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of good stuff that draw people here. So um, in terms of um, the CEO's sentiment around recession, uh, it's, a, it's almost half and half of the CEOs are believe that we're in for a soft landing, what the Fed is trying to orchestrate. Mm-hmm. And the other half are in the recession camp. So kind of divided almost down the middle. Um, What's interesting about that is that we just had an economist on the show last week and he said, well, there's about a 50-50 chance, you know, of of us hitting a recession in the first quarter or having a soft landing. Yes. So I keep saying to all my economic people that come on the show, why can't we have any consensus on this? Why is it that it's always half the people think this and the other half of the people think that? And for every writer, art, or expert uh, who's in the w- world of economics, uh, there's another one that says, nope, 
You're wrong. It's the opposite. Yep. So um, th- th- there, there are many reasons why um, there's divided opinion. Um, and I'll just use, so I bring national data. I bring Long Island data. Mm-hmm. And then I bring my interactions. I spend, you know, almost a thousand hours a year with CEOs, either in group meetings or in one-to-one meetings. So I'm, I'm listening and talking behind closed doors with a lot of CEOs a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And different industries are impacted differently. Let's just take the COVID example. Um, I have uh, one member that's in an industry that's closely tied to the building industry. Um, it's a lumber industry. And um, that company was devastated by COVID. There's another um, member who's in the food services business, both um, retail um, and and products. And um, there was a big boom from COVID because people were staying home. They were cooking. And so it really depends on your industry, how you are impacted and and how goods and what goods and services you deliver and how they are delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, companies that are able to function um, in a virtual, non-in-person manner um, stood up a lot better uh, yeah. during COVID than those who require that inter- uh, one-to-one interaction. All right, so not to back up the truck too far, but I do have one question. We spent a once one or two quarters ago talking a lot about this remote work thing. Yes. And I did read an article recently where it says a lot of CEOs by the end of 2024, expect 100% of their employees to be back to work at the office. I, it was just an article I read. I don't know if it's true or anything. But what what is the sentiment there? I mean, are they still talking about that? Is it is it old news? Do they not care anymore? And just whatever, wherever the chips fall? Um, we don't measure that specific question in the survey, but but I can, I can just offer my own perspective. It's very hard for me to imagine uh, going back to the to the world exactly as we knew it and experienced it pre-COVID. I think um, people have tasted um, in in many industries, not all, but in many interest industries, working from home. It's it's not. There are pluses and there are minuses. Um, uh, I think um, my daughter, for example, is a pretty a fairly typical. Um, um, millennial, um, she goes into into the office a couple days a week. Mm-hmm. And she goes into the office because she wants to, not because she's required to. Mm. Um, and her husband's the same way. And there are many people who uh, have come to appreciate the balance with, with kids, with doctor's appointments, with managing life, being, being able to have some ability to work from home if your industry allows it if you're in the food service business and you're serving you're serving people you got to get out you can't do that from home mm-hmm. um, that's one of many industry examples it's very difficult Scott for me to to um, envision uh, what that article is describing I think there may be um, there may be an increase of people going back to the office it's tough to imagine us going back to 
Well, people like Elon Musk, you know, are constantly screaming, you know, that everybody has to come back to the office. So, so you do hear a lot of yes. it. Uh, again, I don't know if it's going to work because people are not ready. Yeah. And I look, I work from home now one day a week. I know that's pathetically small, but it helps. Yes. I get things done. I still do my job. Yes. I'm not. Uh, I'm not fluffing off, but I can. I can get things done. Yeah. You know, and 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 so it, it helps with my life. Yes. You know, with the work life balance. Yes. I do I do think that something is lost with um virtual work. I think it becomes very difficult to create a company culture. I think it can be difficult to cultivate um employee engagement. Um it, there are certain types of work that require collaboration. Not all kinds of work require collaboration, but some some do. And um, it's tough. It's tough to collaborate. It's not impossible, but it's tough to collaborate in a meaningful way on a, on a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there, my, my comment notwithstanding, I do think that some things are lost mm. uh, when it comes to virtual work. Um, it's it's a very mixed bag. Yeah, and of course you have the camaraderie too. Yes. So you miss that as well, yes. even though it's not a giant factor. It's not a small factor either. Yes. Yes. So all right, let's go no, back okay. to your, back to the numbers. Yeah. So so here are the headlines. Three headlines. Um, uh, pessimism is declining. <laughs> People are not so gloomy um, as they have been in previous quarters. Second headline um, is what I'll call profitless prosperity. As I mentioned, small business owners are experiencing growth in top line revenue, but they're not seeing profitability growing at the same rate. Why? Mm -hmm. Because of increased costs. The inflationary pressures uh, have been real, especially as it relates to higher wages. Mm -hmm. Um, So are companies growing? Yeah, in top line revenue, are they growing in profitability? Not so much. Okay, and that's so not good. That's I, not good. I call that a profitless right. prosperity. Right. Uh, and the third headline is that um, expansion has stalled. Economic expansion has stalled. Um, CEOs, and I can attest to this um, with the CEOs that I work with on a on a weekly base, daily and weekly basis. They're focused primarily on cost management. Um, only a third of CEOs are increasing their fixed investments, you know, their capital investments. That's a, that's a pretty small number. Um, and um, the, the rate of quitting is also subsiding, and that's making hiring just a little bit easier. Mm. Um, so those are some high-level takeaways. Pessimism is decreasing. Uh, revenues are increasing, but not profitability. And there's a bit of a stall uh, when it comes to economic expansion. So that's those are the headlines. Okay. What is this? What does this all mean? What do we do with this information? I think it's important for reasons that we've already touched on. Just like the old saying, "All politics is local." All economics is local as well. What do I mean by that? Um, if we just take the example of Long Island, um, CEO confidence. Uh, in Long Island is higher than CEO confidence nationally. So we have to pay attention to the market that we're in. National numbers are useful up to a point, but you got to test them against what's going on in the local 
economy. And there are certain things that I've already touched on about the Long Island economy mm -hmm. that make it stronger than what we see nationally. Um, so all economics is local as it relates to market. It's also local as it relates to customers. It really depends on your customers for your, your goods and service. Are they focused more on price or are your customers focused more on benefits? You got to know your customers. Um, in general, in general, lower cost products are going to be in higher demand mm -hmm. because of inflationary pressures. But there are still high-priced items, you know, that are that are flying off the shelves. You have to know what business you're in. So there's localness in terms of who your customers are. So um, that would be one takeaway for CEOs and other business leaders is to bring a local lens to how you analyze your market, analyze your customers, analyze what products and services you're providing. Will they meet a demand or do you need to tweak in one way or another? Okay. Uh, you, if you just joined us, you're listening to Radio Jobline with Scott Possessor. We have Jeff Oak on the show with this fabulous uh, CEO confidence index that gives us real data to support what CEOs are thinking today. Uh, if you would like to be a guest on Radio Jobline, you can write to me, scottp118 at gmail.com. That's scottp118 at gmail.com. Happy to have you or your idea on the show. Also, connect with me on LinkedIn. Every show we do here on uh, 103.9 FM, LI News Radio, we post on LinkedIn on my uh, LinkedIn account. So um, if you've missed a show and you and you follow me or are connected with me, you will see it in your feed. we got a news break coming up. Stay with us. We'll be right back. May the four winds blow you safely And now, welcome back to Radio Jobline with your host, Scott Possessor, right here on LI News Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to Radio Jobline with Scott Possessor. If you just joined us, we're talking about the mind of the CEO today uh, and backing it up with real data that is very, very hard to find. And if not for Vistage, probably we wouldn't have this data. So uh, thanks so much, Jeff, for being here and uh, and schlepping here. From, my, from, my pleasure, from, Scott. From, I wasn't a schlep. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, and let's talk about uh, protect your profit you, because you started to get into that a little bit. You know, if companies are not seeing the profitability that right. they used to have, you got to protect what you do have. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's key. Um, so you had talked earlier, Scott, that it's there's there's this mixed picture you know and this sort of blah picture in some respects it's 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 not as bad as it's been but it but it's not it's not awesome mm -hmm. um in time and so there's still recessionary pressures whether we actually you know there are recessionary pressures no no one is gonna dispute that um you gotta protect the profit that you have um in general uh, my counsel is resist cut back, build your backlog, resist cutbacks um, because you got to be ready to handle demands for your business when they come. And people are, people are going to get more expensive. We've seen wages increase. Um, and 
um, to the extent that companies make investments, think long and hard before investing in more people or in improvements that increase a reliance on people. There's a lot happening in the AI space. Um, and um, it's a good bet to bet on techno technological improvements mm. to your company. What about, uh, let me just do a quick sidebar. So, so how are the CEOs feeling about artificial intelligence? Are they worried about it? Are they happy about it? You know, w what's the overall feeling? Um, the CEOs that I work with are curious about it. Mm. Um, they're really interested. There's, there's a little bit of a skepticism like, do I want a computer interacting with my customers mm -hmm. or how much can I trust um, a computer related processes? Um, there's also a curiosity about how can this help my business? Uh, how can this help me deliver better value to my customers? I, I happen to have a member uh, in my group um, who runs a firm uh, that does a lot of AI-related stuff, um, robotic process automation, et cetera, a, a very dynamic and growing and exciting company. Um, and, and his business is just taking off because people, people want to, 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 to get, um, be first to market with innovation and technological things. The survey last quarter was only showing that a, less than one-third of CEOs of small and business uh, mid-sized companies had actually leveraged AI or, or even in some cases explored AI. That's a relatively small number. That number is increasing very rapidly. I, I was actually um, on a couple of training sessions with a guy who, who is a speaker within Vistage and, and um, he's completely booked for all of 2024 because Vistage groups like mine um, our CEOs want to know about AI, and so there's a big demand. Tell us what's going on. Um, how can we leverage it? What do we need to be careful about? Um, the possibilities are extraordinary. Yeah, I, what, what disturbs me, it's a little bit in your face, though. Companies are beginning to, to break it out. Let me give you an example. LinkedIn. Yep. Okay? So we write notes to, say, 300 candidates that, that fit a certain uh, cluster of parameters. And so I'm going to prepare a note that's going to go to these people. So a bar comes over, pushes my stuff out of the way and says, would you like AI to write this note? And I'm like, no, I don't want a, if I wanted AI, I would ask for AI yes. uh, or I'd go to chat GPT and let it write me a note. Yes. So I, I find that they're almost pushing it on you to show that they're technologically advanced and that they're state of the art and yes. all that stuff. But to me, that's just a bunch of hooey. You know, if, if you want to write a note to somebody and you need artificial intelligence to write it, there's something wrong with you. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, and lots, lots to say about that. I mean, I think um, what I'm hearing from the AI experts is... Um, uh, something like chat GPT and AI can be helpful in in perhaps a first draft, but don't rely, don't rely on the technology. And the writing has no personality. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And, and when they figure out how to how to have personality in in a note you might write, then I'll be a lot more interested. Yeah. If yeah. I could feed it all my writings, yes. and it could it could determine. Okay, this is what he would have said. 
you know, and then I'm going to look at it more seriously. But it, right now, it doesn't help me. I read an article every week for for our for our blog. Yeah, and uh, I I do you know ask uh, you know Bard to write me an article. Yeah, and uh, I look at it and I, I can't use this. Yes, it, yeah. it's dead. Yeah. It's like lifeless. Yes. So anyway, that's just yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I, I like I, I write my own stuff. Right. You know, and I, and I like. Uh, developing my own thoughts and, right. and and that sort of thing. So I'm with you on that. All right, yeah. so let's get back. Sorry, I, I did that little sidebar there, but uh, let, let's talk about uh, strategy. Yeah. So the, and and what we're really focusing on now, Scott, is okay. What does this data mean, and what should what should CEOs and business leaders be doing? Um, we talked about protecting profit. We talked before the break about remember that all economics is local. The third point that I really want to um, underscore significantly is the notion that strategy is king. Let me give you some context for this. When the pandemic hit, strategic plans became irrelevant almost instantaneously because the world was upside down and you know, strategy is great until you get punched in the face, Mike Tyson said. I was going to use that line. Yeah, you beat me to it. Yeah, yeah. And so strategy went out the window and people were just trying to survive. Companies were just trying to survive and mm. people were just trying to survive. Mm. The, the impact of, of COVID has largely subsided. Things are, uh, we're in a new normal, not to saying that COVID is gone, but its impact is substantially diminished. And in the current environment, particularly for some factors that I'm going to touch on, um, strategic plans are absolutely imperative. Three reasons. The volatility has passed. Uh, yeah, we're not wild about um, muddling around in the middle, but at least we're not having the, the huge peaks and valleys. So volatility has passed. The new reality that we're in is a, is a slow economy. Mm. We're, we're, we're in a a slower phase, and um, there is the promise of a future growth cycle. Why do I say that? Because our confidence index, which is a leading indicator of the productivity index, will will demonstra demonstrates that there's an upswing um, uh, in the macro economy, in the larger economy, uh, roughly roughly. Uh, eight, nine, ten months from now. Mm -hmm. So there's a growth cycle um, that's around the corner. Um, there's a trip. There's a lot at stake right now, um, which underscores the importance of strategy. It's a shifting economy. We've talked about the un yeah, that it, that it's that, that that there's uncertainty and it's hard to get. There's not consensus on stuff. Mm -hmm. um, a second part of the triple whammy: the workforce is restless. Mm -hmm. Um, people have we, we talked about this. People have gotten a taste of working from home. They they like it, but there are some things they don't like. Uh, that we went through a, a significant increase in what we called quiet quitting. You and I had mm -hmm. a conversation in a previous show mm -hmm. about that. The workforce is restless, um, and we have customers who are reluctant. They they they're they're concerned about inflation. They're they're scrutinizing their purchases. So that triple whammy, a shifting economy, a restless workforce, and reluctant customers underscores why um, a thoughtful, um, carefully developed strategy is absolutely imperative for businesses right now. You know, just a quick sidebar again. Uh, I had Mike Hartsman on a show last week yep. with my The Economist, and we talked about why prices are not coming down. And 
it's it makes me angry when I think about it. You know, it's all supply and demand. But if you raised your prices to because you had to, but now you don't have to, and you've left your prices high, you are hurting the economy. You're hurting the, the customer, you're hurting your own customer, you're hurting the and you're doing a bad thing for the economy. So I want to see companies moving forward, stepping forward yeah. and saying, we are going to lower our prices, even though our, our revenues are this and our profitability is flat and all that stuff, we're going to lower our prices and we're going to set a precedent for the rest of the country. Let's lower the damn prices because then we can bring down the interest rates and we can stop choking yeah. off the economy. But I just feel like companies are taking advantage. I can't help it. Yeah. The other side of the, the, other, um, the, side of the coin is companies are still not certain whether whether their own costs are going to stay down mm-hmm. uh, so there's uncertainty there um, and you know I talked about protecting profit um, what little profit companies have by comparison they're they're pretty focused on protecting it yeah. um, and there are some good reasons for that so I can I see I can see both sides I of definitely it. see both sides yeah. I definitely yeah. but it's still it's still worrisome that the the, the prices are going to stay where they are yeah. so you you can't walk into a car dealership and buy the same car you could have three years ago uh, you have to get a lesser car you have yep. to spend a lot more money which we don't have because right. the interest rates are higher right. and you're going to pay more in every way yeah. so so it, it is a frustrating time yes. in my in my view yes yes. Well stated. All right, well so, stated. so keep keep going. Yeah, so why is strategy important? So that there are three things that strategic plans do that bring value to companies. Mm-hmm. First of all, they create clarity internally about uh, everything from the, the organization's mission, vision, and purpose, um, uh, the markets and how their products and services um, provide opportunity um, and make people's lives better. Um, strategic plans provide direction for the workforce and to the market about where they're headed. And they provide um, clear metrics for progress. Those are all important aspects of the clarity that strategic plans bring. Mm. The second thing that strategic plans do is that they provide alignment. They help organizations align their employees uh, into the planning process. It communicates to get, it gets buy-in from employees and other stakeholders. It increases engagement and it helps to align the resources of the firm um, with their priorities. It's one thing to have a priority, but there, if there are no resources to back it up, that priority is going to go nowhere. So, uh, strategic plans provide alignment. And the third thing that, that strategic plans provide is a framework to assure effective execution on the plan. Um, strategic plans, the good ones, um, they uh, um, underscore the importance of adhering to process flows, providing transparency about how we're performing. It's a tool for accountability internally to make sure that employees um, and products and services um, are of the quality that's to be expected. And they provide a measure of flexibility to adapt. It's easier to adapt if you know your, your destination. But if you don't know your destination and you, and you adapt, you take a, a side road in one direction or another. Um, 
you still got to know what your what the lodestar is, what your goal is, and strategic plans provide that. Right, uh, Jeff. What would you say to people though that have a small business and they don't really even have a strategic plan? They're just kind of waking up every morning and saying, "Well, I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to do that. I have to react to this. I have to react to that." Um, I know companies that that are very weak when it comes to strategic plans. Yes, and and uh, what you describe. The getting from day to day, just reacting to stuff um, is a perennial challenge among small businesses. Mm -hmm. And it is one of the dynamics that Vistage is committed to addressing. Mm -hmm. Um, The best companies of any size, um, uh, their leaders are getting out of the weeds to take a strategic point of view um, so that they can not just work hard, but work smart yeah. and work towards specific goals. So I get the challenge. I, I listen, my CEOs wrestle with it, you know, all the time. And I, yet I continue to push them. You've got to get out of the weeds. You got to get up to the balcony is what I call it. And you got to look down at what's happening and make strategic choices Great sports teams, football teams, um, the good ones excel because they have an, a, a well-conceived strategy uh, for their team. So, so one of the things that makes this difficult, though, Jeff, is because we have the two camps, right? So one camp says we're going to have a soft landing. One camp says we're not going to have a soft landing. So what is the CEO basing his decision on? It's got to be instinct to some degree. Uh, instinct to some degree, but there's also data. I mean, I think... One of the things that we learned in our survey this quarter um, is that there are certain parts of strategic planning that CEOs felt good about and gave them high marks. And there's a bunch where they gave themselves low marks. Mm. Here's what they, in general, uh, what CEOs are saying that they do well in strategic planning. And it's mission, vision, and purpose, and the metrics to track progress. CEOs Mm. feel pretty confident about their ability to do those things. Mm. What they do not feel um, confident doing is analyzing their markets for opportunity. They're not confident about aligning in their ability to align their resources with their priorities. So they wake up with a priority, and then they open their email, and then they never return to that priority for the rest of the day. Mm. That's why it's important to, to get out of the weeds so you get back to that priority that you started with. And the biggest alarm for me is that pretty much across the board, CEOs graded themselves um, poorly on their ability to execute. Um, the best plans are completely ineffective, absent execution. Mm. Um, And in fact, um, this is so important um, to me and to the CEOs in my group. We're having a three-hour workshop at our next meetings uh, with an expert on execution. Mm. How do we execute on the plans that we put together? Because the plans aren't worth the paper they're written on Mm. if, if we don't execute on them okay and uh, if people would want to get involved or maybe attend that 
uh, workshop, or I know you're actually recruiting for for more CEOs. So so let's let's hear the pitch. Sure, sure. So I've, I have two groups. One is for uh, larger companies, generally from 10 million to 150 in revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm approaching. Um, a capacity in that group. Mm-hmm. We only, I only have a couple of spots left. I have um, um, openings in my smaller company group. That's companies that are a million to 10 million. Be delighted to talk to any of your listeners. They can look, find me on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you always ask me to give me my phone number. It's, well, yeah, well, the website too. Yeah, the website. Yeah, the, yeah yes. LinkedIn, the Vistage website. Um, and then my own phone number uh, is 703-475-8539. Very happy to talk to folks who may be interested. Okay, so we have a company that's, um, I won't give the, the revenue number, but it fits that last yep. uh, group. And we have 16 or 17 or 18 employees, which I think is pretty normal for Long yep. Island. It's a, it's a, like almost standard. Yep. Um, what can someone hope to learn, Jeff, if, if, they, if they join? What are they going to get that they don't have now? There are a couple things. Um, there are four legs of the stool that the Vistage model provides. First, uh, we have a group meeting once a month where CEOs who are peers, it's a confidential, it's a highly confidential environment, and it's a non-competing environment mm-hmm. where they exchange perspectives and help each other's work on their issues. So the group meeting is a monthly meeting, and... Um, there's tremendous value hearing outside perspectives from peers who are smart and successful who will say, hey, Scott, I think the assumption you're making is wrong, Mm -hmm. or I really think you ought to prioritize this over that. Mm -hmm. Um, You ought to think about various things. So that's one piece. The second piece, uh, the second uh, leg of the stool is that I meet with each of my CEOs and business owners privately once a month where we dig into that person's issues. Mm -hmm. The third leg of the stool is at our group meetings. We bring in outside speakers such such as this person that I'm bringing in Mm -hmm. from North Carolina who's an expert um, on uh, execution. Uh, So those outside speakers, we have the largest cadre of speakers for CEOs in the small and mid-sized company space. Mm -hmm. And the fourth leg of the stool, we have 45,000 Vistage members Um, around the world in 35 countries and we have an online community where we share best practices uh, questions insights uh, learning so those are the four value propositions okay one more time the website the website is www.vistage.com Dot com. Okay, fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Jeff. I know you My had a, pleasure, big, a, big, Scott. a big trip today. Fabulous information. And now we all know what to do nine months from now. There you go. <laughs> all right. You've been listening to Radio Jobline with Scott Possessor. Uh, if you have an idea for Radio Jobline, you can just let me know. ScottP118 at gmail.com. ScottP118 at gmail.com. Happy to have you on the show. Also, connect with me on LinkedIn and you'll see all of these job lines. Uh, will be put po- will be posted on my LinkedIn account and they're on our blog at executivealliance.com. Have a great week. Happy hunting. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.